You're listening to a broadcast from Moore Memorial United Methodist Church. To learn more about our congregation, visit our website, moorememorialumc.com, or look us up on Facebook. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open us to the truth of your word. We humbly beg that you would pour your truth into us today. Ask that you would use this broken vessel, this preacher for your glory, and for your good among your people, that we might know you and be drawn to you through your son, Jesus, who's been lifted up to draw all people to himself. This we pray in his name. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from John chapter 12. We'll read verses 20 through 37. John 12, 20 through 37. And I invite you to hear this word. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me... The Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you are going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of light. After Jesus had said this, he departed and hid from them. Although he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You pray with me and for me now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There, there was a man who played infield in the major leagues and then served as a manager for various major league baseball clubs for the next 24 years. Uh, and his longest tenure was with the Brooklyn Dodgers. That's, that's where he really grew famous. And his name is Lippy Leo DeRocher. 
And Lippy Leo was known for doing whatever it took to win. At any cost, Lippy Leo wanted to win. His obituary in the New York Times says it this way. DeRocher always placed heavy reliance on physical and psychological intimidation of the enemy. The army of foes that to him including, included the umpiring crews. Base hits and hook slides and sharp breaking curveballs were important. But equally so were sharp spikes and bean balls and umpire baiting. And in 1946, when he was the manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, he made a statement. This is what he said. Do you know a nicer guy in the world than Mel Ott? He's a nice guy in last place. Where am I? In first place. I'm in first place. The nice guys are over there in last place. Not in this dugout. The quotation ultimately got boiled down and summed up in a headline, Last guys finish Nice guys finish last. Nice guys finish last. And DeRocher liked that quote so much that he made it the title of his autobiography. He made it the title of the memoir that he wrote about his life. And it stayed in our lexicon going forward. We, we say it, we hear it, nice guys finish last. And it's the kind of quotation that's always put to use with a little bit of an edge. It's never said with an air of holiness or self-righteousness or with a desire for righteousness. It's always said even with a hint of guilt. It's, it's said in a way that leans towards practicality. But the guilt is obscured by the assumption and maybe the reality that it's true. Nice guys finish last. Kindness is not the way to victory. Push the rules to the limits. Do whatever you can to win. That's the way to be a winner in this world. And the only problem for a guy like DeRocher and people who think like him is that in the kingdom of God, the last come first. You might have to lose in this world to win in the world to come. That's what Jesus says in this passage in John. This is his final public discourse in the Gospel of John. He's just ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey to the shouts and praise that he is the king who deserves the honor of Jerusalem. He's coming in the week of Passover. There are lots of people in town. And you may notice that we're reading the scriptures a little bit in reverse. This story comes after the passage that we'll read next week, which is Palm Sunday. Jesus has been welcomed in as a conquering king. And it's such a compelling display of his glory and honor and victory that Greeks who have come in to see the the hullabaloo of the Passover want to see Jesus. Jesus' entry has obscured for Greek tourists and maybe Greeks who are interested in becoming Jews the celebration of the Passover. They want to know what's going on with Jesus. So they find one of his disciples, Philip, and Philip goes to Andrew. And Andrew and, and Philip go to Jesus together and they say, the Greeks want to see you. And maybe they don't want to just bring the Greeks along because... 
Jews aren't supposed to associate with people like Greeks, with any Gentiles of whom Europeans would be included, which means most of us who are engaged in this service today would be included as well. Most of us do not come from families that are genealogically, biologically children of Abraham. The Greeks want to see Jesus. And Jesus starts teaching. He gives his last lecture. He makes his final speech to the people before he goes into hiding and spends time with his friends, before he's arrested, after he's betrayed, and then before he's taken for a false trial and beaten and whipped, tortured, crucified, and died. And this is what Jesus has to say. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And to explain what that's going to look like, he tells a parable. He says, uh, unless a grain of wheat dies and falls into the earth, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And this is obviously a statement about Jesus himself. John tells us so. Jesus is telling us Jesus is telling us what it's going to look like for him to die. Jesus is going to be planted in the ground at Calvary. His cross will be planted there and he will be placed there to die. And he's going to be buried and from his tomb he is going to sprout up in resurrection new life. And that resurrection, that new life is going to bear a multitude of fruit all over the world, including the Greeks that want to see Jesus. And some of that fruit is going to be martyred. It's going to die, and it's going to be planted, and it's going to keep growing. It's going to start with one tiny grain of wheat, and the harvest is going to cover the face of the earth. And lest we think that Jesus is only talking about himself and that he must die so that he can bear much fruit, he goes to a generalization pretty quickly. He says, uh, those who love their life lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, you're going to find my servants there. And whoever serves me, the Father will honor What's it going to look like to follow Jesus over the rest of this week? It's going to look like joining him at a table for a meal. It's going to look like it's going to look like betrayal. And it's going to look like death. And then and only then is it going to look like resurrection. Jesus tells them this, this parable to frame what he's about to say and then he says My soul is troubled. He gives us a window into his own soul. My soul is troubled. But what should I say? What should I say to God? Father, deliver me from this hour? No. It's for this reason that I've come to this hour. What should I say? Father, glorify your name. Jesus knows how this is going to go. He knows that his death 
is going to produce a great deal of fruit, but he knows also how hard this is going to be. He's not, he doesn't have any illusions about what it is that he's facing. So what's he supposed to do? Ask, ask God to deliver him from it after he's gone to all of this work, after he's been born of Virgin Mary, after he's been raised by Mary and Joseph, after he's begun a ministry, after he's done signs and taught and healed and cast out demons? Is he, is he supposed to back out now? Jesus says, of course not. Of course not. Father, glorify your name. We've, we've all prayed these prayers that Jesus is tempted to pray, right? Just, just before a test that you didn't prepare for properly? Lord, Lord give me a break. Let, let me do well even though I haven't done all the work. Don't let me be exposed for failing to get the work done. Or, or when you've heard something or done something that you know you never should have been a part of. Lord, please help me not to get caught. We might even make promises as we pray these prayers. I'll, I'll never do it again. I'll, I'll give more to the church. I'll, I'll do what I thought you were calling me to do in the first place, Lord. I'll, I'll make it up to you tenfold. If you just, just, just let, me, let me have a break here. Or it might be something that we don't deserve at all that we need a break for terminal illness, grief, suffering, loneliness. Jesus doesn't deserve what he's about to face after all. So what should we say? Father, deliver me from this hour. Save me from this hour. Jesus' response is absolutely resolute. No, it's for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And it's in this moment that we begin to see the mechanics of the grand reversal of the gospel, of the truth that exposes the lie that last guys finish last. Because the idea that nice guys finish last, because the idea that nice guys finish last is true, is rooted in the idea that we know where the finish line is. That the finish line for uh, for Lippy Leo was at the end of the baseball season. Or maybe we think it's at the time where we receive the promotion that we've been vying for. Or when we get the date with the girl that we think we couldn't be nice to get. Or when you graduate with the GPA that you need that maybe you cut some corners to get. The idea that nice guys finish last assumes that the finish line is recognizable and that the judge of who finishes first can be fooled. It also assumes something else, that the glory that we seek is to be sought for ourselves. Jesus knows that he'll be glorified. He already said that. In, in this hour, the Son of Man will be glorified. But how does he accomplish it? Not by seeking his own glory, by seeking the glory of his Father. Father, glorify your name. And then this voice booms from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Notice that the, the, the voice has heard what Jesus has said. It doesn't say, I have glorified my name, and I will glorify it again. The, the, 
sensibility of what the voice from heaven says is dependent on what Jesus has already said. And the crowd, that is most of the people there, can't make out or, or will not acknowledge what happened. They say, oh, that, that must have been thunder. But then there are some in the crowd, some in the crowd who say, an angel has spoken to Jesus. And Jesus says, that voice wasn't talking. It wasn't talking to me. It didn't say anything I didn't already know. That voice was for you. So that you would know that what I'm saying is true. And he goes on, now is the judgment of the world. Now is the time where the ruler of this world will be driven away. The standards that have been set by the ruler of this world are not the standards that will remain. That ruler will be under the judgment of the Lord. This is a, this is a fascinating line. And it's fascinating because one of the things that faithful, pious Christians will say when things are difficult, when things aren't as we want them to be in our lives, when the times where we're inclined to pray prayers of deliverance, when those prayers aren't answered, when we pray, Father, deliver me from this hour, and the prayer is not one of deliverance. The answer is not one of deliverance. What we do is we assure ourselves that everything is happening for a reason. That everything is happening according to some divinely benevolent plan. That everything in the world is ordered as it should be. But Jesus says here that, that the ruler of the world, the one who's ordering the things going on, is about to be driven out. And that means that it, Jesus isn't talking about the Lord. He's talking about the evil prince of this world. The one who until evil is forever abolished from the face of the earth, continues to wreak havoc in God's creation. In other words, God is putting an end to all of the evil going on, but not everything happening is happening because God wants it to in this moment. Is God powerful enough to be in control? Absolutely. But does God will evil things to happen? No. That is not the work of the Lord is the work of the evil ruler of this world. So Jesus, Jesus refuses to try to get out of what is coming his way. But he won't say that what's coming his way is the way that things should be. Jesus will, will not try to divert his life trajectory away from the reason that he's come to this hour, but he will not say that everything that's happening is exactly what should happen. In fact, he says, something must change. The evil ruler must be driven out. God must be established as king. And then as he talks about his death, he says, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. This is no insignificant thing after Philip and Andrew have come to Jesus and have said that the Greeks want to see you. And Jesus says, this is how they'll behold me. On the cross. On the cross that I could ask God to let me avoid, but I want. On the cross that will make people think that I'm a loser. That's where they'll see me where I'll be glorifying my Father. And from there, 
will my Father glorify me. This is the appeal of the cross. Jesus could appeal to the Father to ask him to deliver him from the cross, but that's not what he does. Instead, Jesus on the cross becomes the appeal, the thing that draws everyone to himself. Jesus on the cross is the beautiful reality of God's power and love that draws everyone, Jews and Greeks and all Gentiles, to himself. Jesus on the cross makes a way for us, Gentiles, to enter into relationship with God. In a, in a few weeks after Easter, we're going to start a sermon series on Ephesians. And we're going we're gonna to look at this more closely. But suffice it today to say that you aren't excluded from the people of God just by your sin, though that would be enough. We're also excluded from the people of God until the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus by the fact that we're not born of Abraham by the fact that we haven't gone through the Jewish rituals and taken on Jewish identity. Jesus, when he's lifted up, will draw all people to himself. And you and I are included in that. And the crowd is tracking with what Jesus is saying. The crowd understands when Jesus says, the Son of Man will be lifted up, that he's talking about his death and that he's talking about the Messiah, and they can't piece it all together. We know from the law that the Messiah is going to be here forever. He's going to reign forever. What do you mean that the Son of Man is going to be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And Jesus, instead of explaining all of that, invites them to walk in the light. He says, you're not going to have long to walk in the light. If you walk in darkness, you're not going to know where you're going. You're going to think that nice guys finish last, walking in darkness. But walking in the light will change you. When you walk in the light, you become children of the light. So step into that now while you can. And that's where he ends the speech, but it's not the end of the story. In fact, John continues on just for a few more verses where John tells us, That Jesus had done so many signs. He'd preached to them so much and still they did not believe. Sometimes we believe the lie that if if God would just show up in a miraculous way, it would make it easier for us to have faith. If he'd just provide us with some grand miracle, it would be easier for us to believe. But Jesus did constant signs in public. And the ongoing doubt people had about him then exposes for us the lie that if if we had Jesus and his miracles now, it'd be easy for us to believe. It may be true in the judgment of some and at arbitrary finish lines that nice guys finish last. But in the kingdom of God, being last might be exactly the right place to be. Not something from which we need to be delivered, but something during which our prayer should be one of surrender to the glory of God. Father, glorify your name. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again, even in the ongoing activity of the church. 
Because we're running a different race than the rest of the world. There is a different judge at the finish line. We are seeking the glory of our Father. We're seeking to receive the honor of our Father. Those who serve and walk with Jesus, God will honor them. We're seeking the kind of glory that's revealed by a crucified Messiah. The kind of glory that is exposed when Jesus dies. Because that was the plan all along. That's the reason he came to this point. We might not get signs and wonders. Though, if God wants to glorify himself in that way, he certainly can. We might not get to avoid pain and suffering, but Jesus didn't either. So when we, when we want to ask, why me? We may not be able to answer that question in any other way other than beholding Jesus. Beholding Jesus who's been planted in the ground, who's been lifted up. What we get is Jesus. Jesus who doesn't appeal to his unique relationship with God so he can be delivered. Jesus who doesn't appeal to his character, his righteousness and holiness to communicate why he doesn't deserve what's about to happen. Jesus who lets even his death become an appeal to the whole world. Jesus, the one who draws us in. The one who, when we want to see him, What he says is, behold me on the cross. If you want to serve me, follow me all the way there. And what you'll see is that I, like a a single grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies, the, the seed disappears as the plant sprouts. And and the the sowing comes at a cost. Uh, a farmer, back before there were rules about replanting and, and using, using seed from a former harvest because of the, the genetic uh, modification that happened, long ago, farmers, farmers couldn't eat everything that they made. They couldn't sell everything they made. They had to hold some back for seed. Not everything that they grew could be used for profit because some of it had to be used for profit in the next year. The way of discipleship comes at a cost. It means we, we don't get to pursue and profit off of, off of everything that we might otherwise. It means that even we ourselves, like Jesus, might have to give up everything. We might have to die and be planted in the ground so that from that, a great deal of new fruit can be born. This is what Jesus shows us. That if we set aside our own concern about our glory and our comfort and our honor so that we can seek the honor of God and the glory of God, we will find it. We will find it. The only way to be with Jesus is to follow him wherever he leads. And the ruler of this world and all the ways of this world and whoever the world identifies as winners... They won't be. Because the ruler of this world is being driven out and all of his standards will no longer matter. There's a new way to win. It's the way of Jesus who put himself last 
and in doing so has become first in all things. That's the victory of Jesus, our Savior forever. And that is the victory of Jesus' people. May it be so for us this week and for our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the gift of your word that teaches us who you are. And we humbly ask, O Lord, we humbly ask that we could behold you on the cross, that we could follow you there, and that we could offer you everything. We would not ask to be delivered from the hardships that we face, but that in the midst of them we would ask, O Lord, that your name would be glorified. This we pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.